1: Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Postpartum Coach podcast. Hey, it's good to have you here. So, since the passing of George Floyd, I don't know about you, but I've got to be honest, that was my wake up call to racism. I don't consider myself a racist person. And yet, through that horrific and such public event, I didn't even mean to watch the video, but I was watching a news clip and I saw part of it. And just knowing that even if he had a record, right, the way that that happened was completely unjust. And so I've since done some work and really just felt a lot of feelings and educated myself. And I just wanted to share a little bit about that and about how that's going to be impacting my business, how it's been impacting me on a personal level, my family, my children. The first thing that I've done is I've drawn close to other life coaches who are black that I know personally, or that I know through the circle of being a life coach. And I've asked them real questions like, Hey, I don't have a lot of black friends and I want some (laughs) right. And just, I want my kids to play with black kids, not just because they're black, but because I never had that. And at some point, even if it's uncomfortable, I want to, I want to do that. And so I've been really vulnerable and putting myself out there. And so if that's been you at all, or if you're thinking about doing stuff like that, just know the good women of the world of all colors right now is a time to get a little uncomfortable for the sake of all of us. I love to think that it's not just that we're helping black people, although we totally are because they have had so many disadvantages against them through the government and socially, culturally and still do frankly, but also we're missing out. I love to think about how on the other side of me doing anti-racism work personally, there is a beautiful new life awaiting me new depths of life, new friendships, new people that I can learn to love and get to know that I would have never been able to in my future had I not been doing what I'm doing now with this work. Another thing I've done is I've purposely looked for Black influencers and advocates that are speaking my language and are teaching me One of them I've really loved and they're not as big as maybe some of the names you've been hearing. And so I wanted to just throw them out there. They're a social media account. It's two black sisters and their social media call account is called let's talk underscore sis. Let's talk sis. So it's L E T S T A L K underscore S I S. Okay. And one of them is married to a black man. And one of them is married to a white man. And so they, and they just, they're all about inclusion and diversity. Um, I don't know what their religion is, not that it really matters, but they just have a lot of warmth and love. And I just wanted to throw that out there, um, to get, you know, to, if, if you're just try- wanting to ease into it, dip your toes in because you're just like, wow, I've been so oblivious for so long, but what can I do? That has been really helpful to me. The other thing I wanted to share is there's been an article that has been blowing my mind. And I still continue to think about it. You know, a lot of the documentaries you've heard of, that's so great. Netflix. There's a lot of good ones. You can just Google and there's a lot of books and stuff. I haven't really gotten there yet, but I did want to share, um, this article I found on actually of all places, Ben and Jerry's ice cream, their blog. So they have a lot of articles on their blog about inclusion and diversity and racism. And one of their articles, um, I'm going to put it in the show notes, but it was called like mass incar oh from slavery to mass incarceration, and you guys go check that out. It talks about how the segregation laws came to be, the Jim Crow laws, and then redlining, which is basically when the government didn't um, offer the rates and the mortgages available to black people that they did to white people when america was going suburban after industrialization and so black people were kind of forced to live amongst themselves while white people were kind of in these nicer neighborhoods which is why many of us don't feel like we have a lot of black friends that's not not the only reason and of course there's other things but if you find yourself with any of this i want you to encourage you to go check out that article It's listed in the show notes. And last but not least, I just find myself listening better and really deeply contemplating how I want to make these changes and this ripple in my family when it comes to racism and inclusion and diversity. So I actually signed up for a course that's not done yet, but this amazing woman, she seems to be amazing. I don't know her, but I read about her. I read what she's offering and Um, she's going to create, so she says I'm on her email list to find out more about it when it's done, but of course to help white people get more aware of their own racism and how to be more, you know, have more inclusion and be aware of your own lack of diversity and how to work that into your life and into your family. Last but not least, I just want to reiterate here that I am open for business to all moms of all kinds and colors and, I just, if that hasn't been clear up to this point, I just wanted to throw it out there and yeah, all are welcome here. I'm also really grateful for black women specifically, just because I tend to interact on social media with women mostly who are being so patient and kind with, um, white women trying to understand the pain that has been, uh, shared and born by black people for centuries. It's not that we are completely unaware of it, but to many levels we have been. And I'm grateful for the wonderful black people of this country that are being that have been patient and continue to be patient with the rest of us as we come up to speed on what their world and their family line has been like for generations. So I'm grateful for that. I honor them and I feel humbled but also excited to lean into the discomfort of the future that we can all create together. All right. So we're moving on now to the topic of today, which is how to not get depressed postpartum. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Lizzie Langston. I have three kids. I had them in four years, pretty close together. And I did get depressed, depressed, depresseded. I lost my breasts. Just kidding. That's kind of not funny for some people. Maybe Although let's be real. Some of us feel like we lost our breasts after nursing a baby (laughs) nice and saggy. (laughs) All right. Coming back to topic. I got depressed twice after my second and third baby. And, um, I both times had postpartum anxiety first. And then that kind of bled into burnout and postpartum depression and numbness and lack of appetite and the whole thing. So having not only been there twice, but also servicing dozens of clients now and, um, knowing these mind work tools that I have as a life coach, a certified life coach through the life coach school, here is the deal. I have a pretty good idea of the things that will take you down that path. And I'm here today to tell you what not to do. Now I'm also going to be telling you what you can do. So it's both don't do this. And also here are some things you can think To sort of set up the context for what I'm going to tell you, I think it's important to note that there's a very large misconception amongst postpartum moms and frankly, a lot of doctors, which is that postpartum depression is just a brain chemical imbalance. And that that's really the only explanation. And so here's the medicine. Now, of course it suits a doctor to say that because that makes their medicine the solution. And I'm not saying doctors have an agenda. I think this is really, really newer research with, um, depression being linked to a lot of things outside of brain chemical imbalances. But just in case your doctor didn't mention this, or just in case you don't know, um, depression, the leading depression, experts and research. My favorite guy to follow on social media for this is Johan Hari, J O H A N N, I believe. And then H A R I he's a Brit and he has written a couple books on depression and anxiety. He's lived with it. He's interviewed the world's leading experts, and it comes down to actually nine factors that play into the development of postpartum or sorry, of just depression and or anxiety, but specifically we're talking about depression here. And only two out of those nine factors have anything to do with biology, including your brain chemicals. Okay. And what's going on in your body on a hormonal, maybe brain chemical level, the rest of the seven out of nine factors that will make or break a depressive episode have to do with environment, thinking patterns, emotions, and the likes. Okay. So that means that if you don't want to get on medication, you have a lot of options. If you're already on medication, but you want to wean off medication, you have a lot of options. Okay. Now I don't have any problems with medication, by the way. It's just that it's likely, right? Only two out of nine of the factors have to do with something that medication could help with. And so if you get on meds and they don't work, don't be surprised and don't be hopeless because there's so much else out there, especially that falls into the realm of coaching and what I teach that can be helpful to you. So here we go. The first thing that I'm going to tell you not to do in order to not fall into postpartum depression is don't make your thoughts mean things about your character as a person. Okay. And let me explain what I mean. Here's an example. So let's say I have a thought and the thought is I want to smack my baby across the face. Okay. (laughs) Now I know this might make your heart squirm, but for those of us who are either in depression or getting close, this thought might be something like a very unwelcome fast thought that has jumped across our mind from time to time. Right. And so when we have, intru- I call these intrusive thoughts. When we have an intrusive thought like this, maybe we're startled. We're like, where did that come from? Maybe it scares us enough to remove ourselves and have our husband come take care of the baby for a minute. But regardless of how you respond, eventually here's what your brain is likely to offer you. Something is wrong with me. I'm a terrible mom. How could I want to do this? I'm not worthy to be this baby's mother and on and on with terrible, mean thoughts. Notice how there's a trap here. Okay. On the one hand you have a negative thought, or sometimes it's even just more of an image of you doing something to your baby or, um, hitting your toddler or whatever it is. And it's like flashes through your mind. So that's on the one hand, but then on the other hand, on the back end, you have yourself beating yourself up for thinking this thought. And there's no win here. You've already had the negative thought. And now we're making this negative thought mean things about ourselves. And now we're deeper and deeper into more negativity. Okay. So that example I just shared where you have the one intrusive thought and then you make it mean terrible things about you. I'm not saying that it means that you should like thoughts like that or that you should even not pay attention to thoughts like that and just be like, Oh, it's fine. It's just an intrusive thought. You know, I do think when we get to the point where we're having thoughts like that, it's our brain trying to get our attention and it means that we need to take action and change our circumstances or get some tools for our mental health and our emotional health. So I'm not saying that it's all hunky-dory when you have those thoughts. What I'm saying is it's not useful and in fact, it's even more risky to get to a more negative place when you make that thought mean bad, terrible, judgmental things about yourself as a mom here's what you could make it mean. You could make having this thought mean that you need help. You could make having an intrusive thought like that mean that you are not yourself right now and that's okay. It's time to go, you know, get the help of someone that can help you find yourself. You might have an intrusive thought and make it mean I need more sleep I need more rest. I need more nutrition. And you might take action from that place. So I do think when we have intrusive thoughts, it's helpful to be a little freaked out. Like, okay, this is a wake up call and maybe take some action from that place. Maybe, you know, switch shifts with your husband and have him hold the baby while you calm down. But the worst thing you can do, the thing that will really help you get into even more of a negative place to where you're having even more intrusive thoughts and maybe even getting suicidal is when you make that thought, mean something about yourself, a negative thing. Here's what I did when this happened to me, because you better believe there was a moment where it came to the point where I had one of these thoughts. I was giving my baby a bath in the bathtub with his two siblings and I was super tired and just depressive, but didn't know it yet. I hadn't, I was in denial a bit. I hadn't really been paying enough attention to myself to even notice because I was just swamped in children and all of that. And I had a thought about drowning my child. I, of course, didn't do this. That's why I'm here today, and so is my child. But when this thought happened in my mind, I actually smiled. Okay, like it in my mind at the time, it seemed like a legit outlet for getting away from the hard and from the overwhelming and just the depressiveness, just like the darkness that I can't even put a word to explain where I was mentally and emotionally. So what I did is I actually still was a little bit in denial and I went to paint the bathroom and paint the master bedroom because we were um, painting the house because we had plans to move to Denver. Eventually we didn't know exactly when, but we wanted to move from Arizona to Denver eventually. So we were painting. And so I put, um, at that time, all three of my kids were still taking naps because they were like three, three and under. And so I put them all down for naps and I went to paint and I was listening to a podcast. Um, where the podcast host was interviewing a depressed, like 11 year old, or no, she wasn't depressed, but she had struggled with depression at a pretty young age. And the podcast host said, What is the one thing you would tell somebody who might find themselves in this place? And she said, Just tell one person that you trust, one person. And at that moment, it hit me. I was in that place and I needed to tell someone. So I called my husband first thing. And I told him about that experience. I was sobbing. I was in a fetal position on our floor. I had stopped painting at this point. I was sobbing uncontrollably. Like just it was it was like I'd been bearing that depression and I had been living with it, but I hadn't yet realized it. Isn't that crazy, you guys, that depression can just happen? With the lucky land slot, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
0: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. It's
1: kind of the way I like to describe it is a frog that is boiling in hot water like if it's just sitting there when the water's warm and then the water slowly turns to a boil, the frog will never jump out and it'll just roast and die. And that is what it's like to develop depression. And that's the mo- the scariest part of depression is that it's not like you just wake up one day depressed. It's like little things here and there, and you kind of get used to living like that. I and mean, then it's other things here and there and there and there, but you're already used to the other ones, and so you just get used to the other ones. And pretty soon, you're unrecognizable. And another thing with the first episode of postpartum depression that woke me up to my own depression was my husband just said something like, why are you just never happy? You're just never happy. And actually, even when he said that, I still didn't get it. I still didn't see that I was depressed. I don't even remember. I'm trying to think. I think my sister-in-law was the first person to be like, you might be depressed and let's make an appointment with your OB. And it was, again, it was because this aggression, I wanted to like hit my oldest child because I just couldn't, I just couldn't with him. I didn't have the capacity to help him. I wasn't emotionally available because I was depressed, but I didn't know it yet. So one of the big pieces of my work is just advocacy and education on the front end of people coming into my business, or even if they don't ever hire me, I really want you guys to go listen to the beginning of my podcast. If you haven't already, the episode, I think it's three or four, and it's on postpartum depression versus postpartum anxiety versus baby blues versus postpartum psychosis. And I want you to get familiar with all those because it's really important that you do so that if it happens to you and you start developing symptoms, you can spot them and snap yourself out of it enough to just go get some help including me, including hiring me, if that's what you'd like to do. Okay. So to wrap up number one, which is just don't make your thoughts mean things about you. I want to offer what you can think and do instead. So if you have an intrusive thought or a negative thought for sure, take it as a sign that it's kind of an attention getter, like, Hey, I need help and I need it now. And I've got to make this a priority. No more wait and see no more just kind of being miserable, but thinking it'll go away. Like, no, This is the time to get help when you start having intrusive thoughts. But also, I don't want you to make it mean things about your character. And the reason is are we actually responsible for the thoughts that come across our mind? This is what it comes down to. Do you believe that everything your brain offers you is like a part of your spirit or your mind? Or is it possible that the brain is more of just a carnal? Man, sometimes it's just a carnal organ in our body. And sometimes it produces things and offers us things that are free of our personal moral compass that are just there firing off. And then we get to decide what to do with them. So I like to just treat the brain as a circumstance. And then anything it offers me, I have, I get to choose the thoughts that I think about my thoughts. Maybe I can't choose my thoughts, but I can choose the thoughts. I think about my thoughts. This being said, again, if you're having negative, really negative intrusive thoughts, um, I would suggest that you come talk to me and, um, also maybe let your husband, somebody you trust know, and potentially get in and see your doctor. Um, but if you're really anti-medication or you don't want to get on medication, Mine would be a better and the ultimate route for that. All right, don't number two. This is, I see, a very suffocating thing that really contributes to maternal mental health being a problem postpartum for moms. Don't put yourself in the motherhood box. Okay, what is the motherhood box, you might ask? It is a very real thing that many of my clients were doing in motherhood before finding me and hiring me as their coach. And it was something that I was living in unbeknownst to me. I hadn't realized I had constructed this box for my motherhood um, before my mental health crisis. Here's how you know if you are in the motherhood box, if you're living your motherhood inside of a box of course, we're not talking about a physical box, right? This is a a metaphor here. So you have a vision of what motherhood looks like that was painted in your mind by your childhood perception of perception of mothers, or even not even childhood, even young adult years, things that you interpreted, maybe church leaders saying, or, um, when you saw a mom really happy and you made assumptions about what motherhood looked like all the time, even though you only saw snippets, right? So basically what this boils down to is just unrealistic expectations that we don't realize are unrealistic. And then we hang them over our head and hold ourselves up to be like this mother and this motherhood we have in our mind when it's actually never even possible. And it's not even supposed to be that way. So here are some things that this vision might include. This is what it included for me. Back in my early motherhood, she wears cute house dresses. She always looks cute. Or if she doesn't and she looks like a soccer mom, it's still cute. Like there's never really a hot mess moment. Like it's always some sort of cute because she's a mom and just mothers are cute. And motherhood is just this idyllic thing, right? She's timely and organized. Her kids are always nicely dressed. You know, they don't look sloppy and stuff because she's just a mom and this is, she just makes this happen all the time. She loves being a mom. 100% of the time she feels completely fulfilled by motherhood and being a stay at home mom. She has no thoughts about doing anything outside of the home. She doesn't work. She doesn't want to work. She doesn't hire anyone for childcare ever or very rarely, but ever. She bakes meals for her friends and has spare time for hobbies but doesn't really want or need to do those hobbies because she's just so in love with her kids. She doesn't really have a desire to contribute to the outside world. Why would she? She's so happy at home. Here are some other ways you might know or come to learn that you're living in a motherhood box. Is if you tell yourself things like I can't hire childcare or the women at church will think I'm not a good mom or they'll judge me or my mom will judge me. I can't get a part-time job. That would be abandoning my calling as a mother. I can't run a business as a mom. That would keep me from nurturing my children and that would take away from them. It would be a detriment to them. I can't spend time doing things I love away from the kids. That will make them feel unloved and it might mess up our connection as they grow up and then they could like leave the church or turn into druggies or something. So there's like this over crediting yourself with how your kids turn out and you're very tied to it and you live your life kind of dictated by how you think your kids should and will turn out when really our kids are going to think their own thoughts and take their own actions pretty much no matter what we do. Like we totally for sure influence our children, especially when they're younger, but it's like this attachment and this identity within um, how your kids turn out. I for sure... For sure did that. That actually translates to very, being very embarrassed if your kids act out in public and not, because you're making it mean things about yourself as a mom. And so you're, you're rewarding or threatening a lot because you just want your children to act just so, so that you can look like this mom that you're trying to be. It also looks like being really hard on yourself. That can be part of it too. Um, because you keep not fitting into the box and you keep trying to make yourself fit into the box and it's just, a lot of battles with yourself and not feeling good enough, all of that. So there are some assumptions that are like part of, that build this box that we put ourselves into as moms. I've come to question these and I had to do it all on my own. Like I literally had to realize, oh, I'm living in a box in my motherhood and I don't fit in here. I can't breathe in here. And then I had to start looking, okay, what is this box made out of? And how do I like just pressing against it. And then slowly one fold would go down. And all of this, I did making sure I was checking with the doctrine of my church and the leaders, you know, the, the words of prophets and leaders and making sure every step of the way that I still was doing what was important to me, but I was letting go a lot of fear and a lot of social, socio cultural expectations that actually aren't doctrine. And that actually, I don't need to be putting on myself. And that frankly, a lot of times aren't even being helpful to my kids. So one assumption in the motherhood box is there is the assumption that the most quantity of time, in other words, how much time you spend with your kids bears a big weight on how they turn out. So quantity of time equals quality of time. And it's the argument that a stay at home mom is of course better than like a working mom or a full-time working mom, even because, you know, staying at home with your kids is somehow giving them more of you, which is so debatable because as a working mom now, I feel like I give my kids more of me because I'm more present and i my cup is filled personally. And so I have more to give. Now I'm not saying you need to go get a job. If you're a stay at home mom, I'm not shaming or belittling stay at home moms. I'm just saying that we want to make sure we look at these assumptions and make sure that we like them if we're going to be living according to them. So we're just, today we're just taking this out and looking at it, the motherhood box. And you can always keep it with you. You can always decide I like living in this box. I like this. This is what I want. This is what I feel like my church has taught me or, or what I signed up for or whatever. Um, but it's just good to know some assumptions here. So again, the assumption is quantity of time equals quality of time. Um, there's an assumption that there's only one kind of fulfillment that a woman should be feeling or that, fulfillment is just a one and done. It's like you're a mom and then you're fulfilled and then fulfillment is taken care of. There's no other ful- fulfillment needs outside of motherhood, um, which is really interesting. And then another um, assumption that I came to realize for myself that I noticed is that women who are moms are like, can fit into this mold that we all should kind of look the same, that motherhood should look the same for all or something's not right. And it's okay to judge moms that decide to do things differently. So here are some ways in my personal life after my mental health crisis of 2018 and my second round of postpartum depression that I've, I've learned and like ways that I've looked at my motherhood box and the expectations I put on myself, even postpartum, especially that have helped me just tear down the walls of my motherhood box and finally breathe as a person inside of my motherhood. I think we take the motherhood role so seriously sometimes that we suffocate our person. We don't spend time with her. We don't spend time on her. We don't spend money on her. I'm talking like bigger amounts of money. Like we don't invest in her. We just kind of like be like, forget her. And we're like, oh, we're just a mom now as if we can't be a person and a mom at the same time simultaneously. So the first thing is I have learned to believe that nurturing my children is something that looks many different ways. And though it is my primary responsibility as a mother, it can be done well by my husband, just as providing can be done well by me. My husband and I do even better at our primary roles in the family as we trade off and try on one another's roles. So as I take some time providing and as he takes some time nurturing, we have more empathy, more connection and understanding. I remember it was so hard for me postpartum and he wanted to understand, but he was gone all day providing. And I personally have really enjoyed for me and my family taking some of that time that he is working and taking over it with me working and getting my business to a place where I can actually make an income. You guys, I'm getting ready to take over our family finances, probably not completely just yet, but like we're approaching that freedom. If we want to, I don't know if my husband wants to stop working. We haven't really fully decided that yet, but isn't it amazing that I'm there to bail him out in that way. And there's so many ways that providing is just besides financially and security, right? Like nurturing is providing and providing is also nurturing, depending on how you want to look at it. The second thing I've learned is that I am multifaceted as a strong and capable woman and mother motherhood fulfills me. But just like a garden that gives a great return, it's better with variety. I enjoy and thrive with multiple types of fulfillment, fulfillment as a mother for sure. But also I was hungry for a fulfillment in other ways. And I didn't, I was in denial of that. And I shamed myself for not being fully fulfilled in the home, but but when i got over that shame and that denial and i really started to honor what i really was wanting and feeling like i was missing in my motherhood i realized i love business love it i love it so much i love being an entrepreneur i've always been interested in that my both of my grandpas on both sides are entrepreneurs self-made and i just have always, it's in my blood and I love that. And so I've been enjoying so much the last 18 months as I recovered from my uh, mental health crisis again in the spring of 2018. By the fall of 2018, I was certified as a life coach and ready to light the world on fire and start this business. And that has added and actually given so much back to my motherhood and my nurturing and my parenting. Fulfillment as a wife. Fulfillment leaving a legacy for my family but also for the world. So I want to be fulfilled and leave a legacy in my motherhood, but also I want to leave a legacy for the world. And I think that as I leave a legacy for the world, I'm leaving even more of a legacy for my motherhood. And as I leave a legacy for my motherhood, I'm leaving even more of a legacy for the world in my children and the generations to come. Okay, that was awesome. My kids had a moment while daddy was putting them to bed. I just ran and checked in and see what was what was happening. It was, it's all good. It's all good. Dad's got it. When it comes to childcare, I have learned and noticed firsthand as I let go of fear and expectation and just explored what I wanted and needed, and I developed my motherhood in a way that suits me as a person, I've learned that sharing my motherhood with another adult who I trust and who cares for my children and loves them while I do other work in the world or in the home even is a marvelous thing for my kids. They learn to take direction from another person, to love another person and that person's children. No childcare ever replaces me at all, But on the contrary, it grows my love for the kids, for my kids and their appreciation for me. It's simply beautiful.
0: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DW avoid or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: I've just learned to let go of fear and make space for who I am as a person inside of my motherhood. Being a person and a parent. So if any of that resonates with you, come work with me. I help moms do this all the time. Really let go of the fear and the shame, whether you think it's because your religion is saying this or God, or whether you think it's because this or this or this, like I promise you, I am tied tightly with my heavenly father. And I do notice that women, especially members of the church of Jesus Christ, of Latter-day Saints, like LDS women, they're really nervous and fear-ridden to let go of what this box is, is and looks like because they're afraid that when they do that, they will somehow like leave the church or lose their testimony. And I just want to remind you that faith doesn't include fear. So if you're living in that fear, you know, it's not coming from God. And as you take a step out of the motherhood box with faith, he will guide you to maybe even doing it in a newer, better, higher way that you've never considered before. I have to say that just as I've done this journey personally to get out of my own self-imposed motherhood box, again, I don't blame me living in that box for so long and suffocating in that box of expectations. I don't blame it on anyone, but as I have gradually and timidly at first, and then excitedly later on, um, let down the panels of that box and just like been a person inside of my motherhood and not just a mom in a box, it has helped me to discipline more creatively and teach my children more creatively, I show them and model to them what it looks like to have a passion and also to make space for that and also to balance that. Um, and I'm not saying that if you're a stay at home mom, you don't have a passion or that you don't model great things to your kids. Okay. Not saying that at all. This is just again, I'm excited about exactly how I did it because it's exactly what I needed and it might not be what you need you might feel differently and different levels of fulfillment or have different assumptions in your motherhood and so take it or leave it but again, just wanted to sort of testify almost that like as you as you if you're not doing well in the motherhood that you're living and you kind of are seeing that, Just have faith that God will show you how to redo your motherhood. And I'm totally, totally the one to help you too. If you want to do that together, sister. All right. Last but not least, the thing that will, um, drive you down in depression is when you feel like you need help and you don't get it and you don't ask for it. So the same things your brain tells you to talk you out of getting help when you know you need it are the same things dragging you deeper into your mind and into depressiveness and or are making you more at risk for depression. So let's look at them. Shall we? Typically there's a lot of shame. So shame says, if I ask for help, I'm not good enough. If I need to hire a life coach, I'm not good enough. If I need to um, source, you know, outsource childcare for my kids, I'm not good enough. The next one I hear a lot is blame. I, this is actually what I said to myself. This was a big one. I got myself into this mess. I have to get myself out of it you know as in like helping asking for help i don't deserve to ask for help because i chose to have this baby the next one is isolation this is my problem not anyone else's it's kind of like self isolation you're isolating yourself from any possible help and solutions and warmth and comfort and tools and direction the fourth one is invalidation I'm a woman. I'm a mother. I should know how to do this. This should just come naturally, or I should just know it's just invalidation. Like if you're struggling you're having a hard time, but you tell yourself, well, I should just know you're invalidating the fact that you're struggling and having a hard time. And that gets you stuck fear. If I ask for help, somebody might judge me. If I ask for help, I might not do motherhood the same way. I might never want to come back and be with my kids as much as I used to be with them. So there's fear. Number six, self-deprecation. If I ask for help or get help for myself, I will be a burden on my family. So just kind of putting yourself last and devaluing yourself. I will be a burden on my family. If I ask for help or get help for myself, self-deprecation. Okay. Number seven, neglect. It's selfish to pay for myself. So I'm just going to neglect myself. I'm going to call myself selfish which I always like to say, the more kids we have, the more selfish we actually need to be like on a survival level, because the farther out you extend your responsibility with all of the many children that you're in charge of, the more you have, the more self-interested you need to be in order to stay centered. I like to argue with the idea that being selfish is even a bad thing right? When you're a mother and you have all these children and your psyche is wrapped around other human lives and you've got responsibility for them. It takes so much energy that like, we do need to pour our cup and fill our cup more than maybe somebody who doesn't have kids. And so yeah, mothers should be selfish. Like it's actually to the benefit of their family. Number eight, we avoid or put it off like, Oh, I can make it work. No, I'll just, I'll just do it myself. I'll figure this out. And that's a little bit of denial too. Um, number nine is denial. Maybe it will get better. I'll just wait it out. Number 10 is resisting. Let's just see what happens. Notice how these are all negative emotions. And these are thoughts that create a negative outcome over time, but they are the thoughts that our brain is going to employ to talk us out of getting help just because we don't want to feel whatever we would feel if we hired the life coach or if we asked the neighbors for help or whatever. Number 11 guilt. If I, if I get my, if I get help for myself, I'll be a burden to my family. Oh, I think I already said the burden to the family. That's such a good one though, but it is, it's just like this guilt factor and that produces guilt, right? Which is actually going to take us backwards. Number 12, worrying about others over caring for ourselves. If I get help, my husband will be upset or annoyed or frustrated since he runs the finances. So you're worrying about your husband's feelings over yours. And that's a recipe for downward spiral as well. Number 13, putting yourself last. My husband won't understand Number 14, putting pressure on the marriage. My husband should be helping me more. He should care more. He should get this. He should understand more. I just like to throw out there, like maybe he shouldn't, right? He's a man. He's not a woman. His contribution to parenthood has been different since the very beginning of conception. And it always will be. And he doesn't feel things like you feel things. And that's actually probably a good thing. And so I loved when I was pregnant and preparing for labor and after labor, I loved working with women. Um, it's just part of motherhood. It's an aspect of motherhood that I love. It was new to me. And at first I felt like it was unjust or not equal because all of a sudden we had such different roles, but in over time I came to really love leaning into womanhood and connecting with other women and just letting my husband be my husband and not have to be my therapist and all the things. Number 15, self-pity. People should be helping me more. Number 16, entitlement. Oh, and by the way, 15, that was a, big one for me that really drove me down into loneliness, self-pity, despair, people should be helping me more. Like I just and it was piece of number 16 which is entitlement, like people people should offer to help me so I don't have to ask. Number 7 whatever, yeah, 17, comparison and self-judgment. All those moms on social media are doing fine, why can't I be, right? We look around and we have this unrealistic view of how other moms are doing, and maybe it is realistic even if it is just because you're not doing okay, doesn't mean anything about you. It's just where you are. It's just neutral. It's just like, okay, just like there's three pencils and one of them's more sharp than the other two. It's not like that's not still a great pencil. You just got to sharpen it. Like it's totally capable, right? And some pencils might just need to be sharpened a little more often or whatever. So maybe you see yourself in some of these things. I see myself, my past self and all of them. You're in good company. And if you do, here are some Thoughts that I love that you can think instead. But before I give you these, I want to remind you that this podcast is not meant to do the heavy lifting. This podcast is meant to tickle your brain, open you to some new ideas, and get you started. But if you really need help right now, if any of this depressiveness starts to sound like it's something you could be headed towards or it's something that you're in, why wait? Come get help. Book a consult with me at the link in the show notes or just email me. Um, Liz Langston coaching at gmail.com. You can DM me on Instagram. I'm at Lizzie Langston. Get a hold of me, girl. Like, get into my world and we will start the conversation of getting you some help. So, here are some thoughts you can think instead of the ones we talked about before. This is going to help you prioritize yourself and get the help you may need. Number one, my health and happiness are just as important as my husband's help, health and happiness. Number two, there are other kinds of returns that last more permanently through the generations than money. So a lot of times when women come to me and they want to spend money on themselves, but they're like, Oh, well I feel bad. We should be spending money, investing in my husband. Cause he's the breadwinner. He makes the money. But again, the assumption there is that financial wealth and financial health is more important than mental health and emotional health for the future generation. So yeah, financial uh, like wellness might be good and healthy right now. And important But when you are putting that at the cost of your physical and mental and emotional health, any one of those, you're taking away from what you're leaving as a legacy for the next generation. And I want you to see that like financial, like money, giving money in order to have more mental health and emotional health is actually often the best thing you can do for the future. Um, especially when you are going to give a return mama on your investment, like you are going to teach the kids in a higher quality way. You are going to model for them something that's more realistic. You're going to show them what it looks like to be a human and have needs and make space for those needs. Even when you get busy or life is demanding a lot from you, you don't want to not teach them that. And so that's what part of hiring a life coach can be. Number three, I am the leader for my family. I am the leader of my family. Number four, I am the leader of my children. Five, leadership of others, which is motherhood, begins with self-leadership or leading myself. Leadership starts with me. Number six, my husband does not have to understand in order for me to take action. So many women are so concerned about their husband's feelings and they don't realize like that your decision to get help with coaching can be separate from his feelings. By all means, try to get him on board. But if he's just not, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do this. It's not a reason to not get what you need that is uniquely yours that you know that you need. Number seven, my husband isn't supposed to understand. He's just not, he's not supposed to, if he does awesome bonus. If he doesn't, that makes sense. Number eight, my health and happiness are not my husband's responsibility. They are mine and I teach my clients this and I model this as well. Number nine, I built and birthed a human being. It makes sense that I'm needing extra resources and tender love and care right now. Little TLC. It makes sense, right? Especially like I know moms will have to go to the dentist and spend money on their teeth because their teeth, you know, there was a calcium deficiency because they were growing a baby (laughs) or, you know, anything like that. Or like there's a difficult recovery and they had to stay in the hospital an extra day and that cost money. It's okay. Who cares? You still have mental and emotional health. And so don't limit yourself. Number 10, I am a resource to many. So of course I need to have resources in place for me. I hope this helps. And again, if you see yourself in any of this, I am here for you. There's so many things we didn't cover. There's so many risk factors and things that we do. And we tell ourselves as postpartum moms that are truly not helping us in this moment and making things worse and frankly, dangerous. And so if you feel like you are needing help, don't wait to pay attention to that voice, get some help. I'm here for you. If you want it to be me, the link to book a console is coming right up in the outro. Talk next week. Bye. Hey, Lizzie here. I've helped dozens of postpartum moms just like you to manage their postpartum anxiety and deconstruct their postpartum depression. It's really easy for me. So if you're ready to feel better, I know the way let's chat on the phone, set up a time by going to lizzie forward slash consult. It's pretty simple. And I will be calling you soon.